It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to the Football Digest Daily. And today we've got a Newcastle United special. Um, I'm sure, unless you've been living in a cave for the last 24 hours, you will know that Newcastle have been taken over by (laughs) Saudi Arabia or or a Saudi Arabian investment fund, depending on on how you look at it. Uh, We've got Aaron Stokes here, who is a a Newcastle fan, who I'm sure is on on cloud nine at the minute. And we've also got Alex Richards, who's here to be our kind of media, the one in the middle, who's going to be more realistic and uh, present maybe the other or the flip side to this. But we'll start with you, Aaron. What does it mean for Newcastle United to have new ownership, irrespective of who they are? I mean, it's just an, just an unprecedented day for the club. You know, obviously you've seen the scenes that were outside St James's Park last night, you know, thousands of fans celebrating. And I honestly believe that that would have been the case no matter who bought the club. You know, the majority of fans last night were there just celebrating the fact that Mike Ashley's gone after 14 years, um, rather than celebrating the fact that these new owners, you know, have vast amounts of wealth, in my opinion. Um, you know, it's a, it's a massive day for the club, you know, in terms of, you know, Newcastle have had 14 years of an owner who had no no plan. You know, he didn't invest in the training ground. The stadium's mm-hmm. decaying. He's made, you know, ridiculous decisions that, you know, fans have always went against. He hasn't, you know, put anything in the local area. And now it feels like Newcastle are going to have an ownership who will do all of that. They'll open a dialogue with the club, which Amanda Stavely's already done. Um it's just huge. I mean, I don't think, as I was saying to you two before, I don't think it's really sunk in yet and I don't think it will, you know, probably until, you know, fans are back in the stadium at, at Tottenham in two weeks' time. Alex, what's what's your view on this? Because obviously, again, yesterday we were kind of just all struck by surprise, what, 48 hours ago, roughly, was it, where this all started breaking? What What's your take on the situation and you know, what's kind of the reaction from outside of Newcastle United? I think if you're a Newcastle fan, it's absolutely terrific, as Aaron says. I think you've now got a football club that there is going to be big investment there and where you can start looking forward to having a, a side and, and a team that that are going to be challenging where Newcastle fans want them to, to be challenging again. Um, it's been so long under Mike Ashley now where Newcastle have just, shall we say, just kind of bobbed a log. They've just been there, um, not really ever getting too high you know there was that that one season under Alan Pardew where he finished fifth and 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 it was a decent UEFA Cup run but apart from that what did Mike actually really deliver um not a fat lot I think the issue the issue with with this takeover is obviously the the Saudi Arabia element the the fact that it has for so long seemingly been held up in in, in a legal situation over a numerous key issues um and that is obviously where the the light is being shone now on on Saudi Arabia issues, on issues of human rights. Um, obviously, the the situation with the journalist Jamal Khashoggi being killed in Istanbul. Um, there are all these numerous things from the outside looking in that you look, you point a finger at it, and you say, "This is another act, perhaps, of the Premier League selling its soul." 
but it, it's a very much a, a conflicted affair I believe I think I think you, you can look at it with many different hats on at the end of the day and Aaron you know you mentioned there 14 years of Mike Ashley and you know I'm from the area and I'm, I'm well aware of the the complaints to it with Mike Ashley initially came in I remember being in with the fans and you know it was he was uh, almost he was, a breath of fresh air. he was drinking pints at the Emirates yeah he was almost like a breath of fresh air when he initially came in at Newcastle but obviously that turned after about six months eight months after Kevin Keegan left well it was the second season wasn't it um what's the impact of no Mike Ashley at Newcastle United because he has been a, a figure of interest for football because he he's had he's got money you know and everyone knew he's a billionaire and he just never ever really put his full weight behind Newcastle United it felt yeah I mean every time every time the Sunday rich list used to come out on again you used to see Mike Ashley near the top it just used to anger Newcastle fans because the money was always there it was just that he would never want to put it in now obviously he took over the club in 2007 um you know, I grew up in Newcastle, I grew up supporting Newcastle and, you know, in the, the first years that I was supporting the club, they were playing European football, you know, they had Sir Bobby Robson as manager, they had Alan Shearer as captain. To go from that to under Mike Ashley, it's just been the polar opposite, you know, there's been so many things in the last 14 years that, you know, people just forget. So you had, you know, Kevin Keegan came in, he then ostracised Keegan and fell out with him, he ostracised Alan Shearer. They're both, you know, probably haven't set foot in St. James's for the last mm. 10 years. There was a 2009 relegation, you know, Chris Hutton then got the club back up and then he was sacked. Alan Pardew was given an eight-year deal. St. James's Park was renamed the Sports Direct Arena. Um, you know, there was another relegation. There was Benitez coming, Benitez going, and then there was Steve Bruce. And, you know, I've, I've, there's probably a whole more, you know, list of things that I'm, that I'm you know, forgetting in that time. Um and one thing for the fans is that, you know, there hasn't been an open dialogue with the club, you know, before Ashley came in, you know, the fan groups and the supporters trust had a massive, massive part of the club. And, you know, they had an amazing relationship with the owners and, and the board. And that's just, you know, was eradicated under Ashley, who, you know, didn't really speak to the fans unless he came out and did, you know, a, a Daily Mail interview every, you know, two or three years. Um, so, look, it, it's huge, you know, as I said at the start, you know, I feel like any owner could have came in and, Newcastle fans would have been overjoyed. It's just an absolute bonus that, as Alex said, you know they are probably going to be able to put massive, massive amounts of money in the uh, in the club now. And Alex, you know the Mike Ashley legacy, I suppose. When he came in, Newcastle were potentially on the verge of doing a, a Leeds United at the time. You know there were massive amounts of debt. Ashley did come in and wipe that, and the club is self-sustainable as well. That there are things of the Mike Ashley era that you would say, certainly from the outside looking in maybe he did do some things correctly. I think the fact that they are profitable, the fact that they have nigh on sustained Premier League football, although the football has been terrible, there are things that he's done which has left the club in a position whereby this takeover could happen and they're actually in a position where they can really, really, you know, jump forward and and compete. Um so what do you think the the legacy is from the outside looking in? I think it's interesting. I, I think I want to preface what I'm about to say by saying in no way is this a defence of Mike Ashley and his ownership. Um, but the takeover now, uh, and I think Mike Ashley has actually said this in an interview since it's gone through, he has left Newcastle United on a very good footing 
for them to move the club forwards. Um, as I say, I don't want to defend Mike Ashley on that, but the position the club are in, it's, if they've got a decent base to build from with no major debts, with the club being profitable, etc. What I will say about Mike Ashley taking charge in 2007 was that the landscape of the Premier League was very different. You, you didn't have the Manchester City situation there. You look at you look at kind of the, the record transfer fee. It was, it was around 30 million at that point. Now, I think Mike Ashley being a billionaire coming in thought to himself, I have the money to compete here. But then it, but then obviously Man City happened and finance just went through the roof. And he soon realised the plan I had of making Newcastle this self-sufficient football team where I could put some money in and we could compete at the top end just was blown out of the water. He, he just never quite knew how to then change his initial plan into one where he could compete against these bigger clubs with their more and more finance via the Champions League or via the, their own ownership. Um, and I think he just kind of then meandered along, as we've said. And as Aaron says, he's he's not really put his own money in. He's, he's allowed St. James's to kind of lose its its allure for fans. It's it's not this great arena in terms of it needs a, it needs a good cleanup. Um, and I just think that he kind of he kind of came at the wrong time. I think if a Mike Ashley had, if Mike Ashley had taken over in the nineties, uh, as kind of as we saw Jack Walker do at Blackburn, that would have been the kind of time I think he'd have been a completely different owner then. I think he, he may well have led Newcastle to some sort of success, but he was just very much a man who took over. And yes, he cleared the debts, but then he 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 was just there at the wrong point. He, and he wasn't able to adapt to this new kind of Premier League where there was mega money swirling around and he was always kind of... We've touched on the, the moral impact of this, but I've got a few things that I've picked up just having a read. Um, I mean, Nisty International said, it's an extremely bitter blow for human rights defenders. Our own Andy Dunn at the Mirror said that these new owners are the devil in his article today. Miguel Delaney of The Independent called it a sad day for football. Barney Rooney of The Guardian said there is a genuine conviction out there that uneasiness over a Saudi presence in English football is based in hostility towards Newcastle United. In reality, the opposite is true. It is an expression of respect for the club as something of value. And Adam Crafton uh, said, is English football now a more welcome environment for young LGBT people seeing another gay-hating regime granted control of a club. Aaron, I'll, I'll throw this to you since you are the Newcastle fan. How big of a concern are things like this? Because, I mean, I've got a friend who's a, a Newcastle fan who is uh, he is gay. He does not know where he stands. Can he actually walk into St. James's Park and think it's all right to support this club and put money into a club that, you know, the owners think that what he does is wrong? I mean, how, how can a Newcastle fan defend that or do you just kind of move on from that and say well it's different you know we're, we're talking about football and this is your football club and you can't help who owns you look i think it's a it's a terribly com complex takeover it's a complex issue you know newcastle fans are now having to deal with something they've never had to think about you know um what i will say is you know I think it's the responsibility of Newcastle fans. They can't just sweep this under the carpet. You know, they can't just say, oh, well, you know, 
it's happening over there. You know, we don't know much about it. These people are now representing Newcastle Football Club. Let's be frank about it. It is sports washing, you know, pure and simple. You know, the only reason Saudi Arabia are buying this football club, you know, in the biggest league in the world is to is to dress up their image. You know, we've seen it in, you know, countless other sports and they'll continue to do it. And it works because if Newcastle United suddenly start playing amazing football and they're winning trophies, Newcastle United fans aren't really going to be bothered. Let's be simple. What I will say is there's... There's two things that I'll try and defend Newcastle supporters for. One is that, and now this is in no means defending what the Saudis are doing, but you know the Saudis have invested a lot of money in Uber, in Facebook, in Disney. They're hosting F1 events there. You know they've invested in the WWE. They're hosting anti Joshua fights. You know, or all the fans of those sports and of those businesses meant to stop. You know, why is it now Newcastle fans that should stop? It's, it's becoming so much more commonplace and not just in football, but in the world that these powers and this, you know, oil money has taken over. So, look, it puts Newcastle fans in a, in a terribly difficult position. Now, what I will say is that I've spoken to fans in the last 48 hours who are, are really, really conflicted about this. Um, you know, they've said, one, one said to me yesterday, you know, I'm still going to support Newcastle, but I wonder if it'll ever feel the same again. Um, so obviously you, you've seen fans last night, you know, outside the stadium celebrating, and from the outside that that might look like you know they don't care. That isn't the case, you know. Um, I have spoken to them, and it, it is a difficult issue. So I think it's the responsibility of journalists to probably educate them on that. It's the responsibility of fans to become aware of it and not just sit idly by. But look, I, I I'm never gonna you know begrudge any fan for supporting any Newcastle United that's going to do well you know they deserve this there's fans that have supported the club for 40 years it's their entire life but on the same side I'll respect any fan that says look you know I just can't sit by and support this but it, it's just an impossible situation I, I feel it, it's so difficult. Alex how does this change the the dynamic of the Premier League? Well it brings you it brings another big hitter to the table doesn't it um, we've obviously seen Manchester City in the past, we've seen Chelsea in the past get big money ownership and just rise to the top very quickly and, and basically plant their feet right under the table. This is kind of where Newcastle United now will be looking to, to get themselves. Um, he, the Saudi takeover, they're not coming just to, just to be bit part players, are they? They're not coming to have Newcastle sitting 12th, 11th, 13th, 14th in the Premier League season after season. Um, this is this is about them being able to get the the Saudi brand front and center as they build their own investments and and obviously you know as we've seen with PSG in Qatar this this is what this is now as Aaron says this is this is the Premier League's version of PSG and Qatar and and that's what we'll soon see Newcastle with sponsorship for a Saudi airline perhaps. Um, advertising hoardings around the stadium for numerous Saudi products and whatnot. And they need Newcastle United to be a a force, basically, in the Premier League. And, and, in, and they will be able to then charge more money and have greater exposure. Um, 
the Champions League is obviously where they will want to take the team because that's where the, the greatest exposure and the greatest allure um, is. And and so that's what we can expect. Um, I think Aaron makes some great points on, on sports washing. It, it was absolutely ridiculous that Amanda Stabley comes out and just says this is not sports washing. Um, and, and she made a she made a, a quite frankly ridiculous claim that and the quote was really good. I really enjoyed the quote. If we want if we wanted that, we'd have bought a major franchise in the US, not a club in the relegation zone. Well, if, if you wanted that, you'd have ended up spending three billion on a team rather than 300 million given how US franchises go and also the fact that they'd never be able to buy a US franchise because it just doesn't happen. There are zero um, zero foreign franchises in NBA, NHL, NFL. Um, so that was, quite frankly, a load of rubbish from her. Um, but look, on a footballing side, you have to be excited for Newcastle United. Um, this is what, for quite some time, Newcastle fans have wanted, the end of Mike Ashley, and, and just hope, just hope that they're going to have a football team that can can inspire the man in the street who goes to the ground at, on, a, on a Saturday afternoon and, and watches his team. Just hope that they can have the kind of the kind of side that they can really be proud of and that they can really get behind and that excites them for two hours on a weekend. It gives them all that back. Of course, we're having this conversation because of everything else that goes around it. Um, and that's just something, that, as Aaron says, a lot of fans will be conflicted about. And that's just going to continue. But let's be quite frank here, the Premier League opened its doors a long time ago to this kind of thing. This isn't some overnight sensation. It's just this is the club now that it's happening to. But the Premier League have, have long been there, happily going, come on in. doesn't matter about X, Y or Z. Just just come and bring your money and, and we'll be perfectly fine with that. Okay, we'll jump now. We'll talk more about the football inside of things. I think we've, we've touched enough on the the morality of the question. So we may as well focus on the, the more exciting stuff. Well, the more exciting Just one more thing on the morality, though, while I'm at it, because I'm oh, on. a bit of a role with the Premier League here. I find it completely disingenuous that they've turned around and just said, oh, it's nothing to do with uh, being sport and 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 uh, and Saudi Arabia coming together finally um, over the TV deal. Because let's be quite frank, that's what's kicked this off. That's where That's where it's come back to. The deal was blocked for quite some time because Saudi Arabia were illegally streaming and, and taking being sports Premier League content. Premier League didn't like that, so that's why they put a block on things. Um, for them to just basically insist now that oh, we've had we've had assurances that it won't be the Saudi Crown State and it will be the PIF in charge, it's a load of absolute rubbish. It, it, it's because all the partners are now scratching one another's backs and the Premier League rap is free to go through. And that's that. So let's go back onto the football. Yeah, let's focus out on the football. So, you know, we were talking a little bit actually off air, Aaron, but Newcastle are actually in a, a relegation dogfight. No wins this season, really struggling. Uh, I've seen a lot of their games and they're, they're not particularly good. I, I would say, I think that's fair to say. Without Callum Wilson or Alan St. Maximin, uh, if either of them are out injured, then Newcastle do struggle. Yeah. Uh, Tottenham coming up next. Obviously, there's big question marks over the manager, which obviously you can touch on that as well. But Newcastle are in a really, really bad position in the league and, and this takeover, you know, yes, it's got everyone excited and they're going to be sold out probably every game for the rest of the season, which is brilliant. 
However, there is an issue of, well, what happens if they actually get relegated this season? Because that is a realistic proposition right now for Newcastle. Yeah, I mean, it would just be the most Newcastle United thing in the world to be taken over by the richest state and then get relegated six months later. But um, yeah, look, I mean, you know, I was watching Sky Sports News last night and they were interviewing fans outside the stadium and, you know, you had one or two saying, oh, we're going to sign Mbappe and Conte is going to be the manager. But, you know, really, the majority of fans were saying, really, we just need someone to keep us up this season and then to build. I don't think that it's going to happen overnight. And I think fans are aware that it isn't going to happen overnight. It's, you know, the main focus needs to be staying in the league, you know, signing players in January that are going to keep them up um, and hopefully finish mid-table. And then obviously after that, you know, the start of a new season, hopefully they can kick on. It's it's difficult because, you know, the owners surely have someone in mind that they, that they want to take over. You know, I, I haven't said this often in the last two years, but I do I did feel a bit sorry for Steve Bruce last night, you know, giving an interview at the Telegraph saying, I really want to stay and, you know, I, I can show the owners that I'm the man for the job. Let's be serious. I don't think he's going to be in charge for Tottenham. And if he is, then it, it is probably going to be his his 1,000th Premier League game and his last one. Um, who comes in, I don't know. Um, you know, fans, as I said, are, are talking about Conte and Zidane. I, I, I don't think that's realistic with Newcastle sat 19th. You know, I'd like to see maybe someone like Gerrard. But again, would he leave Rangers? It's, it's tricky, you know. Newcastle are in quite an unprecedented situation. You know, they are now one of the richest clubs in the world, yet they're 19th in the Premier League. You know, who... Who do they attract? Players-wise as well, you know, as we were saying off air, if it gets to Christmas or January and Newcastle are sat in the relegation zone, you know, are big players one are going to come? Probably not. So first things first, you know, Newcastle need to get their things right in, on the pitch and get out of the trouble and then, you know, focus about who they're going to bring in and who they're going to, you know, have probably replaced Steve Bruce. What do you think, Alex, this season? Because obviously, again, you're more neutral looking at this. Newcastle, I think, have been one of the worst teams in the Premier League this season. You know, I think Norwich are clearly worse, but other than that, there isn't anyone obviously worse than Newcastle. I said to Aaron, I would put them in the bottom five of teams in the league right now. Um, different if they have a fully fit Alan St. Maxwell and Callum Wilson, but the reason why them players have been at Newcastle is because you kind of get them fit. If they were fit all the time, they wouldn't be there. Um, so do you think there's a chance Newcastle could get relegated this season and what sort of impact would that make on this takeover? Because, you know, FFP and the championships, a nightmare. We've seen that. You can't just throw money at it there. What is that? It's such an interesting dynamic that this season is probably on this journey for Newcastle that's probably going to last 20 years is the most important because if they don't stay up this year, then a lot of these plans are almost thrown out the window. Yeah, I mean... I went to Wolves Newcastle before the, before the international break and they were dreadful. Um, the, the simple fact of the matter was if, if Alan and Maxman didn't do anything, nobody else looked likely. Um, miss, missing Callum Wilson very, very badly. Um, there was just no threat really outside of that. Is there a situation here where Steve Bruce keeps his job until... January or the end of the season, or even if you sack Steve Bruce, Graham Jones takes charge on a temporary basis and, and you see how far along the line you can get because they need to be much, much improved if they're not going to be stuck in a relegation battle. Um, if worst does come to worst and they get relegated, I would not have much worries about them 
they'll bounce straight back. The, the, you know, the, the last few times when they've been relegated, that's exactly what they've done. And I would, I would assume and I would back them to do just that again. So I think it, it would certainly scupper initial plans, but it would only be delaying what, frankly, does look kind of inevitable. Um, it's going to be really interesting, as Aaron says, in that you get to January now and, and whoever is the manager, you, you then are trying to appeal to new signings and it's a lot easier mm. for Newcastle to appeal to new signings if they are 12th, 13th in the league and have put a couple of wins together or if they're 19th in the league and, and they've got two wins all season and, and you're trying to appeal to players. And all right, you can offer them big money contracts and and, and huge bonuses and, and signing on fees and whatever. But that's always going to lead you down the path of, right, certain players will come just for the money, but you want the players who are worth the money, but who are there for the sporting reason that they want to win things and they want to achieve. Um, so you kind of, you, you're only going to appeal to those guys if you can show a real platform to move forwards. And, and I think that's what the next couple of months need to be for, for Newcastle United. And that's what the fans will be looking for is, is improvement on the field and, and getting out of the current predicament that they're in. Um, and that obviously will start with Tottenham. Um, how how much we can back the current crop of players. And, and I mean, it, it all it comes back to the Steve Bruce situation. As Aaron says, he's not going to be there for the long haul now. But how quickly do they get rid of him? You know, if we're, if we're talking about it here and now, you are in an international break. You've got a week or so to, to get rid and just sweep the board immediately. It's a far easier time to do it now. All right, it, it, it's a, it will seem harsh to from the outside. Newcastle fans certainly won't think it is, but you can you can just pull rip the bandaid off right here, right now. But goodbye, Steve. Thanks for everything. Here we go, starting afresh, and you've got a little bit of time. Far easier to do that than you you get into the the middle of the month and you've played a couple of Premier League games, and then games start coming thick and fast, and you get rid, and suddenly you're scrambling. Um, but of course, this is the interesting dynamic here is if you do get rid of Steve Bruce and you bring in someone, well, then you're probably not going to be hiring an Antonio Conte or a Zinedine Zidane or one of these huge names that undoubtedly they will be looking towards. Um, so you're going to be bringing in a guy who's always going to kind of be looking over his shoulder and thinking, I need to do, do something pretty sharpish because otherwise they're going to get rid of me. And even then, if they do do well, Perhaps there is still that thing from above. Okay, we've got to a certain point. We need a bigger name now, anyway. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of Mark Hughes when he was at Man City. No matter what he did, he was always yeah. facing the sack there. Aaron, I would say I was shocked to be honest when the takeover went through that Steve Bruce wasn't announced as sacked at the same time. You know, I watch a lot of Newcastle United. Um, I've watched a lot of Steve Bruce in his career. Do not rate him as a Premier League manager. I think he's possibly the worst manager to have ever made a thousand oh you said it was a thousand this weekend uh, next weekend i don't know how he's reached that because his record in the premier league is very very poor he's been relegated a few times he's he's never ever had any success never won a trophy i can't believe that he i, I can't imagine how newcastle could keep him as the manager because to me even putting graham jones who's his assistant in is better than having steve bruce there because i think he's that inept. I'm just surprised that that, that trigger has not been pulled already. 
Um, it was interesting last night, you know, Amanda Stavely, who now owns 10% of the club, she's brokered this deal. She Her first interview that she gave to Sky Sports, you know, she was pressed. Have you spoke to Steve Bruce? And she said, yeah, we have, and we're supportive of him. But then she wouldn't confirm or deny whether, you know, he was going to be in charge. And I think if he was in the plans of the new consortium, they would have came out straight away and said, yeah, you know, there's nothing to worry about. We're not going to be hiring and firing straight away. I thought that was a bit of, you know, an ominous message towards Steve Bruce. Um, you know, he, he did come out last night and say, you know, he wouldn't be bitter if if he was sacked. He, he would understand it, even though he wants to have a go. But look, he, he, he was always fighting a losing battle, replacing Rafa Benitez, who was so adored by the fans. But he could have won fans over if... One, the performance had been better. Two, the results had been better. And three, if he hadn't just sort of been, you know, Mike Ashley sort of front-facing ally, you know, Rafa Benitez was loved by Newcastle fans because he stood up to the regime and he always wanted more, whereas Steve Bruce would come out and say, I just want to keep the club ticking along. So for Newcastle fans to hear that when they sat 19th, that they just want to tick along, it's he never really did himself any favours. So, look, how quick he goes, I don't know. But as Alex touched on, he isn't here for the long haul. I would personally be surprised if he's still in charge by the next international break. As you said, Graham Jones, he's got he's got a lot more coaching experience. You know, he's with England in the summer. He's... You know, he's worked under some high-level managers. His managerial record himself isn't too good. But look, we don't know. You know, I, I feel like the new consortium probably has a name in mind. Um, Newcastle fans might just have to temper their expectations a little bit, at least for the first six months or so. You know, I don't think, as we've touched, I don't think they're going to be getting a big, you know, show-stopping name. Um, I honestly believe if Rafa Benitez hadn't taken the Everton job in the summer, he would be he would be an absolute shoe and he would he would probably be here already. Um because I think the plan last year and I mean Amanda Stavely obviously bought both tried to buy the club four years ago and she wanted Rafa Benitez in charge. So it's just a shame that it's probably came six months too late to get him back. Mm. Yeah, it did feel like that was kind of what Rafa was was waiting for. When he left Newcastle. Alex what do you see happening with Newcastle over the next 18 months in particular? Because I remember when Everton, you know, they had a similar takeover a few years ago and they've thrown a lot of money at it and, and aren't getting anywhere fast. They've had the big name manager in Carlo Ancelotti. They've got another one now, Rafael Benitez. For them, they haven't seen progress on the pitch and it's been a bit of a, a stuttering period. How do Newcastle make sure they don't do an Everton? And how do you make sure that they are, you know, the Man City or the Chelsea of years past? Um, get your appointments right, get your manager right, get your, get your director of football and your backroom staff right. Um, I think Everton um, struggled in that respect. They, they brought in a number of managers who had decent reputations but weren't that top tier of manager that really, you know, the likes of Marco Silva came in, Ronald Koeman. Guys who were fallible and who had flaws. I think if Newcastle getting a manager right, you're halfway there. You then need to get your director of football right and get your transfers right. Because at the end of the day, it's the guys who do the best transfers and do the best business that inevitably finish and, and rise up the table. Again, that was an issue for Everton. They had 
had Steve Walsh as director of football, got rid of him. Marcel Brands came in. You then had kind of the thing where you had Carlo Ancelotti and suddenly they're doing everything that Ancelotti wants and then he just walks out and, and leaves them with a situation where Rafa this summer took over and didn't have a lot of money to spend. Um, and, and credit to Rafa, we did done a very good job on a, on a budget. Um, so for Newcastle, it's about those things. Uh, it's about kind of tempering expectations this season in that this isn't going to happen overnight. You're not going to have this great change and, and suddenly go from from zero to 100. Um, so I think it's just basically, I know Steve Bruce and of just ticking along is it, not the sort of thing a fan wants to hear, but kind of just ticking along this season and and getting this season out of the way. I mean, we're only, we're only in, in October, but getting, this, getting through this season without any harm, you know, if Newcastle finish this season 10th, perhaps have a semi-decent FA Cup run, give fans a reason to, to be excited next summer. And then you can then they can go all out because, as we've mentioned, Mike Ashley's got them on a good financial footing. There will be money to spend. You can't just throw money around like Man City did and like Chelsea did back in the day, given financial fair play. Um, but Newcastle can spend, I, I believe, it's somewhere in the region of in January, 200 million, and, and it wouldn't be a problem. Now, I'm not saying they go and do that in January, but in next summer's market, that's when they can really make a splash. And you have this kind of new plan for next season of, OK, we've got through we've got through the first six, eight months of it. And then suddenly you can go, right, now we really kick on and we really build. And I think that's when, that's when it's going to be really interesting at Newcastle next summer. What happens? How, how do they build? It, the formative stages are now until then of getting kind of all these other things right, getting all the ducks in a row, and then we see where they move on from there. How do you see the squad looking in 18 months, Aaron? Presumably, new, pre- presuming that Newcastle do stay up this season, there can't be many players in this current squad that you like the look of. And I'm thinking about St. Maximin's an obvious one. Callum Wilson, you'd say, is probably an obvious one to stay, even though he is heading, I think he's roughly around 30 years of age, so he's not going to be a peak Premier League player for, for much longer. Do you see many of these current crop sticking around or do you think it has to be almost wholesale if you want to be competing in the top eight? Look, I think if Newcastle want to compete in the top eight, then a bulk of this squad will have to go. Um, Steve Bruce has done very well to get this squad over the last few years to to 13th twice, I think it is. Rafa Benitez got them to 13th and 10th, which... You know, Newcastle fans weren't really expecting at the start of the season. So I feel like if if they're, you know, like we say, this season may, you know, be sort of a, you know, there probably won't be too many changes. But I think next summer, then we could see the likes of, you know, even maybe Lascelles, you know, Jeff Hendrick, John Joe Shelby, Carl Darlow, you know, players like that. They will they will be out the door. Um, the exciting thing is, is just who comes in. You know, I've had a look on, on Twitter this morning and I'm seeing... You know, Van der Beek, Lingard, Coutinho, Bale, Dybala. And I mean, this is coming from a club who were told in August that they didn't have enough money to buy Hamza Chowdhury on loan. It's just, you know, funny Castle fans, it's just, you know, the excitement's just unbelievable because this is just the complete polar opposite of what we've had the last two years. So, you know... But in terms of the of the current squad, I, I can't see many staying. I think St. Maximum probably stays. Callum Wilson probably sees out the last couple of years of his of his peak here. Dubravka probably stays. Um Joe Willock obviously came this summer, but 
apart from that, there probably will be a wholesale clear out further down the line. That's what do you think needs to be done off the field? I mean, we touched on backroom appointments there before, but Newcastle in the northeast have the, probably the third academy. I think Sunderland and Middlesbrough have produced more players, certainly players who've played for England and, and, and are playing at professional level. Uh, Newcastle's at training ground, it is, well, I mean, the managers have said it in the past, Rafa Benitez has said it, you know, they've got a pretty shambolic training ground. The stadium needs a lick of paint. We touched on that before. I think Newcastle, St. James's Park is one of the best stadiums in the country, but at the minute it looks a little bit tired. Certainly I've seen pictures of, you know, wires hanging out of walls because they've not replaced TVs and stuff in the concourse. It's going to be a big clear-up job behind the scenes, isn't it? You know, you got to you got to fix that stuff before you start, you know, splashing out hundreds of millions on players. Yeah, of course, it, it's going to be a complete infrastructure change. Uh, we've seen that at, at Manchester City, most notably. You look at the their training ground, their training academy. Now it's it's up there with the best in the world. That wasn't there 12, 13 years ago. So for Newcastle, it's going to be something like that is what they'll be looking for in those regards. Um, and then, of course, if you've got if you've got state of the art training facilities, that's going to help you appeal to players. And and Newcastle now need to present themselves as an upwardly mobile club. Who here's where we're at. We've got no interest in being here again. We we're now looking to go, you know, right to the top. They're you're doing. They'll have to do it in stages. It, it, as we've said, it's not going to happen overnight. But that's what they're going to be making clear to anybody that now wants to become attached with Newcastle United. Any footballer, any investor, any anyone looking for it to advertise at St James's Park, this is where we're aiming. And, and you know, that's where we're striving to get. And basically, we're not going to, not going to stop until we get there. Um, and I think for Newcastle fans, you know, amid all the, the conversations that are now being had, amid, amid all the kind of questions that's very exciting you've now got a football club that that you know they're determined not to be also runs anymore they are striving to be among the very best and are you Aaron excited to see you know investment in the academy it's a thing that fans always want they always want to see you know certainly for Newcastle seeing a Geordie you know in the team is always a positive are you hoping that they don't abandon that and, and actually do try and create a pathway? Because I think one thing you'd say about Man City and Chelsea is they have struggled to break through their own talent as a team. I know Phil Foden's doing well at Man City right now, but ultimately over the last 10, 15 years, them teams have struggled to bring through their own academy products into the first level. Is that something you want to see sort of honoured? Do you want to start seeing them producing localised players rather than just buying in players who are, are there essentially for the money? Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, as Newcastle fans, there's there's nothing that the supporters love more than seeing, obviously, a local lad doing well. You can probably count on one hand in the last decade under Mike Ashley, you know, how many players actually came up through the academy and stayed. You know, Andy Carroll was probably one of them. Um, obviously, you've got Matty and Sean Longstaff and Paul Dummett. But apart from that, you know, there isn't really that many others you can really say did amazing. In the last couple of years, you know, they lost Lewis Gibson Everton, who was a massive talent. They lost Bobby Clark recently, Lee Clarkson to Liverpool, massive talent. So I think, you know, these these owners, they will have a plan. They'll have a plan for the academy, they'll have a plan for the region. Um Amanda Stavely's already came out and said that they're gonna do a full rebuild, and that will obviously 
include the academy, it'll include the younger players. Um, and yeah, look, I mean, there's been a massive turnover of under 23 in academy managers as well. Hopefully that they can they can obviously sort that out as well. But um, yeah, it can't just all be, you know, big £100 million signings and will be, as you know, there is obviously, there's massive talent in the northeast, as you said. You know, Sunderland and Borough have shown that you can produce amazing talents. Um, and, you know, now it's just about Newcastle showing that and not, you know, just neglecting the academy as it has been, you know, in the last 10, 14 years. Okay, I think we're just about out of time now and my dog's beginning to boot up about something happening outside. There must be a bird flying past or something. So I think that's a good time to end this one. Aaron, thanks for coming along and, and you know sharing your excitement. I think you've kept yourself reasonably grounded there, so well done for that one. And Alex, of course, always a, a privilege to have you on here. Um, everyone enjoy your weekend. I know there's no Premier League, uh, but there is international football to enjoy and I'm sure England... We'll uh, have a pretty easy evening tomorrow night against Andorra. I don't think there'll be any nasty surprises there. So please remember to subscribe and please enjoy your weekend.